Today we're starting a new sermon series on the cross, and I want to start with a question. Do you ever look at the world, turn on the news, scroll through social media, talk to your friends, and, and you have this thought, does this ever happen to you? I wish the world would stay exactly as it is. I really, really don't want anything to change. It's perfect just the way it is. Don't change a thing. I don't see many heads nodding. Now, some of you, like there are those moments, you know, you see your kids doing something really cute and it's like, oh, I want to freeze this moment. I don't want it to change. I get that, like that moment, those children. But really, we don't really want that because, you know, we raise our kids to grow up at some point, hopefully. But that's just a microcosm of the whole world. There's a bunch of other stuff going on. No, we look at the world and we think that needs to change. Well, that needs to change. Oh, my goodness, that really needs to change. Look at politics. Wish that would change, right? How many people just all the time? Doesn't matter who it is. There's always somebody. I wish this would change. We look at health mandates right now. We live in the season of COVID. Constantly, I'm hearing people on all sides. This needs to change. I don't like the way this is. This has to change. We look at the economy. We look at laws that are being passed. We look at laws that need to be passed. Well, this needs to change. I can't believe they're doing that. Man, if I was in charge, everything would be done differently. We talk to people. Sometimes we come away from conversations and we think, boy, that person needs to change. They really need to change. And usually what we mean by that is that they really should be more like me. I mean, if we're honest, I think... Subtly, we all kind of have a little bit of an idea in our head that like if everybody would be a lot more like me, not me, I mean you, you're saying this, but that, that everything would be better. We live in this cycle, I think. We see a situation and we say, that's messed up. That needs to change. Something is wrong in my opinion, in my judgment, there's something that's wrong there. And we get frustrated Why is it that way? Why doesn't it change? And when we get frustrated, we react. We go and we talk to all of our friends. Can you believe this is happening? Can you believe so-and-so? They did this. They shouldn't do it that way. They should do it this way. We want change. We go on our social media, go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you use, all the things. We post, this is what needs to change. Everything's wrong and it needs to be this way. Send. Yes, I changed the world. We react. And in that moment of reaction, we have a subtle lie from the sin of pride in our own lives, which is we just exercised a bit of control over the world. I just instituted change by voicing my opinion and by telling somebody else they're wrong, or sometimes just by thinking that they're wrong. You know, the other thing that reactions bring is interactions. See, other people have reactions too. And other people think things are wrong too. And suddenly we're saying, well, this is wrong and this needs to change. And we run into somebody else and they're like, oh yeah, this is wrong and it needs to change this way. And it's the opposite of what we want. Or we post something on Facebook and and we get the replies. Have you ever had this? It's just like the long string of people being angry at you. I can't believe you said that. You can't believe this. blah blah. blah. And you're like, I thought you were my friend. I thought you were my friend too. Unfriend. Interaction with reaction then turns into arguments. 
and insults and hatred and anger. And they were looking at the situation and the interactions we're having in society and the hatred and the anger that has come in. And we're going, hmm, that's a messed up situation. I wish it would change. And then we go around and around and around. We get frustrated that things aren't changing the way we want. How do we get off the spinning wheel of wanting change and being frustrated that it's not happening and complaining and getting angry at one one another because we all want different change in different ways? You know, one way to get off that wheel is just accept everything is true. Well, your opinion is truth for you, and my opinion is truth for me. And if we all just accept that all truths are equal, then we'll all get along so much better. You know, when I started in ministry over 20 years ago, like that was, we were beginning to turn that corner into this idea that all truth is equal, all truth is relevant. It was beginning to be more popular, and there was this notion, this is going to be great. We'll all just love each other. And of course, as a Bible-believing Christian, I really struggled with that because I thought all truth is not equal. We do have a God, and he has given us his truth. But there was this general concept in society, no, this will be fine. If we just treat everyone like all truth matters and all truth is equal, we'll all be loving and wonderful to one another. Here we are, almost a generation later. Look how that's worked out. Our world believes that all truth is equal, and I see more hatred in the world today than I did back then. Oh, all truth is equal, but mine is a little bit more equal than yours. And, and yours is fake, so you don't get to say it at all. And yours is different than mine, so, so my truth has to be right. It doesn't work. Well, maybe we should just get together with those that agree with us. We'll just gather together in our little societies and our little clubs with people that think our way and they want change our way and that will be happy and wonderful. And it is for a little while until you realize you don't actually agree on everything because nobody does. Nobody agrees on everything and so those groups fragment and fragment and fragment until you're left with each individual being its own little group saying, I believe this and I will only join together with people who believed exactly like I do and you look around and the room's empty. It doesn't work. Maybe we should just not care about anything. Maybe we should just all be apathetic. Look out for number one. I'm going to do my thing, and I don't care about anybody else. But that leaves us very empty and very bitter and very alone. As a church, we just finished up a sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. We spent about 54 weeks in that magnificent book looking at the life of Jesus Christ, his birth, his ministry, the things he taught us. And of course, at the end of Matthew, we looked at the cross and the resurrection and then the Great Commission and the orders to the the disciples and still us today to go out into all the world. But you know, I was left with a bit of a nagging struggle in my heart. We didn't have a lot of time to really focus on the cross. I had to move through that pretty quick. We needed to get to the kickoff Sunday, and that's okay. It's just kind of the way preaching schedules work sometimes. But as I was thinking about what do I want to cover over the next eight weeks, that's how long I've got before I go on sabbatical in November for about six weeks. So we've got eight weeks together, and I just thought, what do I want us to focus on? 
And I decided I really want us to focus on the cross. I think constantly as Christians, we need to realign ourselves. As a church, we need to bring ourselves back to the central focal point of Christianity, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, why that? There's so many other things we could focus on. Why should we focus on the cross? Pastor, aren't you kind of overstating this? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, and it is a messed up church. Of all the churches in the New Testament, I think the Corinthian church was just an absolute disaster. There was internal struggle, there was arguments, there was holier-than-thou attitudes. It was going on constantly, and you see Paul pouring out his heart in the letters of First and Second Corinthians to try to bring order and focus back to this church. And at the end of chapter 1, he says this, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. They were so proud of many different things. He said, wait a minute, let's come back to who Jesus is. And then he says this at the beginning of chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you see Paul's focus? He says to the church, this was my singular focus when I was with you. And this is what I talked about. This is what I preached about. This is what I was trying to grab your heads and turn your attention to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, by the time of writing this letter, as I said, the church in Corinth was a mess. They were struggling with division. And he's going to talk about that. They were struggling with culture, and he's going to talk about that. But it's not where he starts. He starts with the number one priority, the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything he's going to talk about with their culture, with with relationships in their church, with things that are right and wrong in their church and moral standards, all of it's going to come from and be focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, maybe Paul was just a simple guy. I mean, I get it. You know, this was like his main thing. He was a preacher. He spent all his time focusing on the cross. Maybe that's just all he knew and that's just all he talked about. We know some people like that. They know one thing and that's what they talk about all the time. That's not Paul. See, Paul studied under the best of the Jewish teachers. He knew the Jewish Old Testament. He knew the Jewish religion. He knew the Old Testament law. He could have gone on and on and on about the Old Testament law and the prophecies and the Psalms. Paul was also trained under some of the best Roman teachers. He could stand up with the best of the best of the philosophers and publicly debate with them. He could have talked about culture and philosophy. And at times he does, and we know he's really good at it. This is not all that Paul knows. Paul makes a choice. This is what's most important. I resolve to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
You know, there's many reasons Paul could have focused on other things as well. Corinth was, was just a hotbed of Roman ideology and pagan ideas and worship. It was a, a central hub of commerce, lots of roads leading in and out of it. All these different world religions were coming through. They had many different idols. In fact, it got to the point where participating in their local economy was often dependent on who you worshipped and whether or not you would worship their idols. So they're struggling in this. And he could have jumped right in and talked about their culture and how evil it was. They also had a culture in their city that just upheld sexual promiscuity and sexual freedom. This idea, do what makes you happy, whatever you want. We can't identify with that in our culture today at all, can we? Things haven't changed. You know, people always say, oh, things today are worse than they've ever been. No, they're actually exactly as they've ever been. People are still screwed up today just like they were back then. They were holding up as a virtue what God had condemned as sin. And the Christians were trying to live in this society. And Paul doesn't start his book off by just railing against that and judging the culture. Now, please understand, he does talk about the culture and that it's wrong. What I'm trying to point out is what is his highest priority, the focal point of everything. He could have talked just about things in the Corinthian church. They were divided over their leadership. They were looking at some follow Apollo, some follow Paul, some follow others. And, and they had all these factions within their group. And he could have just come in and say, this is your main problem. But it wasn't their main problem. It was an offshoot of their main problem. Their main problem was that they had lost the main thing, which was the cross of Jesus Christ. He could have talked about an ongoing debate in their church, which was, is it okay to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols? I know that's weird for us today. What does that mean? But, but they had this idea, like some Christians felt they were more righteous because they were free to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. We know the idol is nothing. We can eat it. Who cares? So we're really righteous because we have freedom to eat this. And then other Christians are like, no, we're actually more righteous because we abstain from those things. So we're more pure. And it was this ongoing argument. Who's better than who? And again, Paul will talk about that later in the book. We're not going to look at that. But it's not where he starts, where Paul focuses when he was there in his ministry and when he's writing these letters is on the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, we still face so many competing focuses today. So many things that as Christians, it pulls us or even just as people, it just pulls us to be all about something. Have you ever had someone say, oh, I'm all about that? I'm all about this band. I'm all about this hobby. I'm all about this sport. You know, it's like we're supposed to be all about everything in the culture. And our focus is constantly pulled off of what it should be. And yet Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's Paul's singular focus, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not just his focus. Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says it's his boast. His boast. You want to know what Paul was most passionate about? You ever run into somebody who's really passionate about a sports team? Might have run into a few of those this morning. I've heard there's something going on today. Somewhere, some football team. 
But, you know, you walk up to them, how are you doing? Great, the Bills are playing today. And it's like it just jumps out of them. Why? Because it's on their heart. It's on their mind. It's what they're excited about. Here's what Paul's excited about. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the cross. This was his passion of his life and his heart. It was the overflow in everything that he did. Every trip that he took, every sermon that he preached, every letter that he wrote, everything that he did was focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe that's just Paul. Maybe he's a weirdo. Well, in that case, the whole early church was a bunch of weirdos. And they were. Because shortly after Jesus is crucified and the culture and the world thinks we've won, we put him on the cross. And of course, he didn't stay there because he rose from the dead. That threw a wrench in their plans. But they went out into the streets. And what do they preach? You know, God just loves you and he wants to give you a great life and he just wants to fix your problems. No, they go out into the streets of Jerusalem and they say, Jesus was crucified. They talk about the cross. The cross was not something to boast about. In fact, it wasn't even something to mention in polite conversation. Paul picks up on this fact in 1 Corinthians 1.23. We talked a little bit about this in the Matthew study. But Paul mentions this kind of offhandedly. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now that is scratching the surface of a really deep reality in their culture. To the Jews, the concept of someone being put on a cross was automatically an indication God hates that person and that person is under a curse. Because in the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 21, 23, God gave them a law that says anyone who is hung on a pole or some translations say a tree is under God's curse. So to say that Jesus is the son of God, which was offensive, to say that he's promised Messiah, which is hard for them to believe, to say that he was put on a cross was scandalous to the Jewish mind. No way. That's impossible. And Paul's coming along and saying, oh yeah, I'm all about the cross. It's my greatest boast. Are you kidding me, Paul? The cross is an embarrassment. I came across a quote from a guy named Cicero. He lived before Jesus Christ. He was a, a, a public speaker, primarily in the area of politics. He wrote some things. He was very famous in the Roman world. And again, this is before Christ. It, what he's saying has nothing to do with Jesus Christ or his death on the cross. That hasn't happened yet. But listen to this quote. He says this, The word cross should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. He goes on to say that even the mere mention of the cross or of the crucifixion was, and I quote, unworthy of a Roman citizen and a free man. See, it wasn't just a Jewish problem. You don't boast in the cross to Jewish people because they'll never understand that. You don't boast in the cross to the Gentile world, the Roman world, because they were embarrassed by the cross. It was the absolute sign of ridicule and shame. You never even talk about it in polite society. Now, I got to tell you as a pastor, I was preparing this sermon and I was thinking about, okay, this would be a good place for an illustration. Like what's something today that's just shameful to mention in polite society? 
And the more I thought about that, I thought, if I could mention it, then it's not at the same level of shame that they're giving to the cross. So here's where you insert your own sermon illustration, okay? You know those things that if somebody came up to you and asked you about whatever it is, please don't share this with your neighbor. And please, this is mostly to the guys. Don't come up to me afterwards and say, when you were saying this, this is what I was thinking. Don't say it, all right? But we all know those things. Like, you don't talk about that. It's just like as soon as somebody mentions a certain topic or a certain idea, we're just like, are you kidding me? You don't mention that. That's the cross to them. That's the cross. So understand when Paul comes along, because hopefully some of you have been Christians for a long time. Some of you have been going to church for a long time. Some of you understand you've been hearing about the cross for ages. And that's awesome. But some of the harshness of it gets lost. Paul is saying, I boast in something that the rest of the world said, I can't even think about, look at that, or listen to that, because that is so shameful. That's how bold Paul is being in this. So why does he say, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Why does he focus on the cross? It's because that's what the world desperately needs. Politics, health, church issues, cultural issues, society norms and changes and virtues and vices. It all comes down to the fact that they needed the number one thing, which was the cross of Jesus Christ. And Christians, I think we desperately need to recover that today. What we need as individuals is to focus on the cross of Jesus. What this world needs is for us to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Why? Because the cross is the very power of God. It's not a symbol. It's not just an ornament. It's not just some pleasant spiritual idea. The cross and what Jesus did on the cross is the very power of God to change the world. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is slightly before the passage we looked at. Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And we talked about that. They don't get it. Like it doesn't make sense that God would use this, this shameful thing. But look at what he says. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How often as Christians do we try to change our life by tweaking habits? How often do Christian churches and pastors and Bible studies, how often do we just talk about, well, just need to think this way and not that way. Change this habit and not that. How often do we focus on whether or not we feel good or it makes us more happy or more productive or whatever else it is? What we need is the power of God at work in our life. And the way that comes is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you want to change the world? Because I sure do. Let's focus on the power of the cross 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Paul could have come in. He could have amazed them with his background knowledge. 
He could have laid out the Old Testament. He could have laid out the Roman philosophers. He said, no, I am testifying to who God is. He goes on in verse 3. We'll skip over the rest of the verse we're looking at. He says, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And what is that power that he wants them to have? He's already said it. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, this is what I want to be your central focus. This is what you need to be all about. Paul didn't come to amaze them. He didn't come to woo them over with the slickness of his words or how dramatic he was in the presentation. He came to present the cross of Jesus Christ and say, this is it. This is what you need. Let's focus here on the cross of Jesus Christ. He writes in another place, Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The good news of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We're going to look a lot more over the next eight weeks at the power of the cross and what it does in our lives. But for today, the reason the cross is the greatest power that we need is that it is the solution to our greatest problem. When we look at the world and we say it needs to change, what we're saying is something is wrong and we're right. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we say something needs to change in me too. And in those moments of honesty, we're often very right because there is something very wrong with the world and something very wrong with us. And that's what the cross is all about. It's God's solution to what the world needs. Salvation. To have our sins paid for by the Son of God who died in our place. The cross is powerful because it's this ongoing reminder to us as Christians. The world isn't changed by us. It's changed by the cross. We're messengers. Yes, we go out. We take the message of the cross. Yes, but never stop and think, I'm going to fix this world. You're not. I'm not. I can't even fix my own life. I can barely keep my house fixed up. I'm certainly not going to be in charge of the whole world. But God is. And he's given us the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is powerful because the message of the cross is that Jesus, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world, loved us enough to give his life to die in our place. And that by doing so, he has promised victory over sin and death. That's the power of the cross. The world doesn't need more of my ideas. The world doesn't need more of your ideas. The world needs more of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let that be our focus. Let that be our boast. Let that be the power behind and in and through everything we do and say. Because if we're going to be focused on the cross and powered by the cross, we also need to be proclaiming the cross. I am, and I'm just going to put this very bluntly, I am so often embarrassed by the church of Jesus Christ today, 
particularly in America. We have become known for so many things that have nothing to do with the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is wrong. I'm not saying the opinions are wrong. That's a whole different subject. And I think people can have differing opinions on differing things. And that's okay. We all need to take a deep breath and relax. What I am saying is that as the church of Jesus Christ, that's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. That's not what we should be turning the culture's focus to. They don't need our political opinions. They need the cross of Jesus Christ. What are we known for? How often I see the news story. Pastor in such and such town, upset over masks in his congregation. Really? Okay, you're upset over masks. I get it. I hate them. I do. But I also get them. And so when I sit down with people like, hey, I'm kind of nervous and I want to wear a mask, I get it. Like my heart goes out to them. When I sit down with people and say, I don't want to wear a mask, can't believe I get it. My heart goes out to them. But for a pastor to be known for that, are you kidding me? That pastor should be known for one thing and one thing only, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Christians, I'm no different than you. What I'm known for is not some higher standard. As Christians, we are to be known for the cross of Jesus Christ. So often we want to be known as the people that just welcome people and gather them and make them feel better. And there's good things in that. And I believe that nothing makes someone feel better more so than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But so often we want to leave the cross out of it and just give people good feelings. But look again at what Paul said. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing, nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are you a Christian today? Can you say that? When you look at your social media posts, would you say that above and beyond everything else, and I get it, it's okay to post pictures of your kids. It's okay to post about other stuff. I'm not saying that, but what are you known for? If people scroll through your social media, what are they going to say is most important to you? If people think about conversations they've had with you, what are they going to say is most important to you? If people walk into our church and they listen to conversations in the hallway, What are they going to say is most important to us? Now, I get it. Like, we have a doctrinal statement, and we we make sure that our teachers are teaching the Word of God. I'm held to a high standard of accountability by the elders to preach and teach the Word of God. We will hold up doctrine in our teaching, but that's not good enough. It's got to go to you and you and you and your conversations out there so that when a visitor comes in, what are they hearing? Can you believe that politician so-and-so did that? Is that what they're going to hear? There are times in this church, look, I'm, I'm on fire today, I'm sorry. There are times in this church, I want to go up to people talking in the hallways and say, can you please take that outside because it has no business in the church. And I love you all dearly. But we have a higher calling and a higher standard. What are we known for? 
I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was Paul's focus. So this is what Paul proclaimed. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the most important thing he taught. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul goes into a messed up city. And he proclaims the gospel because that's what they needed. He writes then to the church in that city that had grown and developed. And they had become messed up. And he goes right back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's still what they needed. Now maybe that was just specific to Corinth. That's that's just them and those people. That's what they needed, but we're better. Look at what he says in Philippians. Listen to Paul's passion in this passage. Paul is on his way to death at this point. He knows very soon as he's in prison, he knows very soon he's going to die. And this is what he says to another church. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Do you hear his focus there? It's just oozing out of every pore of his body. Focus on Jesus. His life was all about Jesus. He says, even if I am to die, it's going to be all about Jesus. And if I can leave you with one thing, make it all about Jesus. The cross was always his focus. As he's on his way to Jerusalem at the end of one of his missionary trips, where he knows he's probably going to be arrested and probably put to death, he says this, I consider my life nothing worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What are we proclaiming? What is it that we are proclaiming to this world? And by proclaiming, I'm not just saying from our pulpits or our Sunday school classes. I'm not just saying on on public posts, what are we proclaiming through our words day in and day out? What are we proclaiming through our attitudes? Because people sometimes think, well, I'm just thinking that. I didn't actually say it. Oh, you said it in ways you didn't know. It comes out. And often the battle of what we're proclaiming starts with what's consuming our thoughts. What are we proclaiming in our relationships? What are we proclaiming around the coffee time at work, around the break tables, in the hallways? What are we proclaiming? Because the world desperately needs the cross of Jesus Christ. I want us, as Orchard Community Church, as Christians, to be part of changing the world. 
I believe in the core of my being, this world desperately needs to change. And I believe each one of us needs to change as well. And I believe the cross of Jesus Christ is the change that we all need. We are so easily distracted, pulled in all these different directions. And it's so easy as a church under the the auspices of helping people and doing good things to focus on other things. But one thing is most important. One thing demands our total focus. One thing has the power to truly change the world. The cross of Jesus Christ. Over the rest of the series, we're going to look at how the cross changes everything. We're going to look at how the cross teaches us about ourselves, about our world, about everything in our lives, and about God ultimately. We're going to look at how God's plan was for Jesus Christ to always go to the cross. He set it up all throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at what the cross has done for us, how just how exactly it has changed us. We're going to look at living a cross-shaped life. What does it mean to live in light of the cross, changed by the cross, proclaiming the cross? We're going to look at being a cross-shaped church. We're going to look at living on a cross-shaped mission. And we're going to end with the ultimate hope of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where I hope for us to go, Lord willing, in the next eight weeks. I pray that God would do the work in each one of our lives to keep us focused on the cross. Because I truly believe the cross changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we embark on this journey together, I pray for wisdom. I pray for humility for each one of us, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would realign our focus in those areas we need to be realigned. Father, I pray that we would, like Paul, boast in the cross, that we would be overflowing with the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we take a deep dive into what the cross is and what it's done for us, that the more we understand, the more those things would be on the tip of our tongue, ready to share with anyone we can. May we be fully convinced as individuals and as a church that this world needs to change and it needs to change by the cross of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.